Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. Andy Benoit, my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Go ahead, hit that subscribe button. Greg, it's con- it's Combine Week, and I-, I thought what we could do here, you know, we'll get into some of the football part of it, but you know, I don't know if people outside the NFL have a full understanding of what Combine Week means when, when we say that, why people go, what happens. With I know um, a-, a couple there at one point, my 15 years ago, and I won't say what year, but there was – Near the end of the combine, a, a quarterback's mother uh, was at mixed company at a, at a bar that I was at that everyone was at at the end. She said, what do you think of – she named her son. You know, what do you think of his workout? And I said, I didn't watch the workout. I didn't see it. And she got immensely offended by that, immensely offended. Like, I've never had someone get so angry with me in mixed company like that out of nowhere. And what we – as I was talking through it with her – it came to understand she didn't realize, you know, it's her first combines, her son's a rookie. She didn't realize that there's other things going on. She thought you're only there for the workout. So she heard me say, I didn't go watch. And right, she right, thought right, I was disrespecting right. the process. So that's a long-winded way of saying, you know, there's a lot more to the combine than just the workouts. And I'm not talking the medical stuff either. Oh, so you're not wanting me to speak? Okay. Um. I do. I want, I want you to tell me. Yes, yes, that's right. After I, I give the quick intro of that one long story. Um, you know, why don't we take me through your combine week and what you do. Put the workouts aside. I'll chime in and then right. give people an idea of well, the landscape there. I, I will say this. Uh, let's just give, give, I'll give a quick comment about the workouts just because, you know, I think that's what most people see because they watch it on TV. So, they see the workouts. They don't see the other things. Um, for me, um, and I'm very fortunate that I can be on the field, um, I really do enjoy watching the quarterbacks throw live when I'm standing 10 feet away from them. Because obviously you get a totally different feel watching the ball come out of a quarterback's hand when you're standing right there as it's a different feel than when you're watching tape. Now, obviously, all you're doing is then really watching it come out of his hand. You're not seeing the game of football. But I think most coaches would tell you that they want to see a quarterback throw alive. And I think that for me, there's absolute value in that. Um, I have mixed feelings, but again, I don't have to do this because I don't work for a team. I have mixed feelings about all the drills. Um, I'm sure coaches will tell you some they see as more valuable than others. Um, I've also been with coaches that say, I don't get a lot out of it because I'm watching a guy in shorts and a t-shirt, you know, run drills and not play football. I've heard other people say, hey, there are certain drills that are really, really important in my evaluation. So I think that the drills themselves, Andy, I think come down to, you know, the individual and the personal feeling about what they get out of it. Um, yeah. But, but for me, come the thing I enjoy most about the combine for me, and again, all I can do is speak personally, um, is the conversations that I have. You know, I always view... Every opportunity, you know, whether it's a phone conversation, the combine is a great example because everybody in the league, for the most part, is in one place. <clears throat> I view that as a way to continue to learn. It's a it's a constant learning process. You know, you, you, you see coaches, you talk to them. You know, because I watch tape, I have a sense of of tr- of schemes, tactics, what t- teams do. Some more than others, obviously. But you can get into some really good conversations. You can you can walk the halls of the dome and you see a coach that you know, and you stop for fifteen minutes or ten minutes, and in those ten minutes you hear three things that that resonate in a way that you didn't quite think of them that way. 
You know, you, you know what he's saying as soon as he says it, but you didn't think of it quite that way. So it resonates totally differently. Yeah. And, and so it, that's a great segue or great entry point. When you say walk the hall of the dome, what, what, what you mean by that, I'll put it for our listeners, is first of all, the dome is, is now the field house or whatever they're calling Lucas Oil these days. It's not the old RCA dome, but that's where everyone says no. the dome because when the combine started, that's where they went. But Indianapolis has an enormous convention center right in the middle of downtown. And it has all these walkways and, and even some a tunnel that goes to the stadium, all these lift different paths that connect to the football stadium and then to about four or five major hotels that connect. More than four or five, probably eight or nine now. Well, yeah, JW, Marriott, the regular Marriott, the Westin, the Conrad, the uh, Hyatt Regency. Regency. Those are the main five. There are others, yes, but I guess whatever it is, the hotel's downtown. downtown. And so all of the NFL is in in that area right there. The whole league is either at the stadium at one of those hotels, typically in the lobby, or walk in the halls in between them, walk in the big convention right. center and walkways. So that's that's kind of how Indianapolis and the Combine Week works. And I remember my first year there, Greg, you know, this is all brand new. to I didn't even know I was going to the Combine until a week before. I'd never thought about it. And I spent – actually, my bosses at CBS weren't – I don't know if they were thrilled about this. I – everybody there's all the press conferences they put all the media in one big room the coaches come in and they say nothing really well and that's a press conference and people holding <laughs> it and quoting it and getting all excited you know because every head coach will be in there so you get a lot of media but i was thinking well that's just that's coming out on twitter right now we don't need to sit and write stories on that so i did no work combine week and i just walked around every hotel introducing myself to people just walking, Jack Del, Mr. Del Rio, Coach Del Rio, you know, and some of those Del Rio came to mind because those relationships stick. Some you'll never see, you know, you right, think, right, they, right. They won't think right. of you again. You'll think of them again. But that was my first comment. I was just going hotel to hotel, and I couldn't believe how many famous football people were there. You just see them everywhere. It becomes second nature after a while. What you told me your first combine. Years ago, or when did you start going? What were the first couple of years? My first combine, uh, and I can't remember the specific year, but it was two years before the Houston Texans came into existence because they were at the combine for the first time, even though they were okay. not yet in the league. It was two years before. So, and, and just very, what's that? That would have been year 2000, I believe. Okay, so it's right around there. Um, but uh, just a quick anecdote. I, I remember, um, you know, obviously with my NFL matchup show, which I created in the mid eighties and we got the coaching tape in maybe 91, 92. So I've been watching coaching tape ever since then. But I remember, you know, a year or so before the combine, the first one that I went to Steve Sable, um, my mentor, my boss, at NFL films, who has been gone now for probably about 10 years. Um, he came up to me and said, you know, you need to be going to the Combine. And, uh, you know, again, I knew what the Combine was, but I didn't really have any sense of of everything we just spoke about. You know, just like before you went, I'm sure you didn't really have a sense of what it was, you know. And so I went to my first Combine, and I just, I didn't really know people. And I remember just kind of sort of sitting and listening to conversations and, you know, trying to introduce myself. Obviously I had nothing to say. Who was I at that point? You know, I was a nobody, you know, you just sit and you listen and, you know, and 
you stay out late at night because the coaches stay out late at night because you're just trying to get to know people, get them to know who you are, learn a lot. And, you know, I remember what one of the first things I remember is I was sitting and the combine was way different then because it was probably either 1999 or 2000, as you said. So the, the whole feel of the combine and the way it was laid out was totally different. Because it wasn't really a media event. It wasn't a TV event. It wasn't any of that at that point. So I forget where we were sitting, but I was sitting with a group of scouts. Um, and there was an old-time scout. I can't even remember his name. It's very possible he's not with us anymore. And they were just talking ball. And I'm sitting there just listening, trying to learn. And it was a guy with a southern accent. I wish I could remember his name. And, you know, he says to these younger group of scouts, you know, guys, you know what the 40 time tells you? It tells you that fast guys run fast and slow guys run slow. <laughs> and I never forgot that, you know, because everybody, obviously, the 40 yard dash is the event that everybody gets excited about. And, um, you know, we could certainly have a conversation about that, whether, you know, what, what value it may or may not have. But I never f have forgotten that guy saying it, you know, with that that deep southern accent. And it kind of struck me as, you know what, that's kind of true. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's great. I know the first, the first, so I met the first coach I ever met with at the combine and I had reached out to him before was Curtis Modkins, who's a veteran running back coach around the league coordinator. We sat, we talked Buffalo, their offense. He'd been in Buffalo with, I think it was Chan Gailey, if I'm not mistaken. Might have, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and I remember Modkins said the, the night, so the, the JW Marriott lobby has a, restaurant the great i think you and i have been in there how 50 times together the velocity high velocity yeah yeah high velocity and we were in high velocity it's a bar restaurant it's a sports bar every everything in indianapolis by the way is a sports bar or a steakhouse there's nothing right. in between <laughs> or any different That's and true, he yeah. just he, he walked by and just said hey andy and i couldn't believe he you know i met with him but i was so new i couldn't believe he'd remembered my name from earlier in the day when we sat for half an hour and, you know, little things like that were like the highlights of the combine, just getting to meet people. And some of the coaches you meet there, I mean, you know, I'm lucky to know most of the coaches in the NFL now, Greg, the overwhelming majority of them, it stemmed from a relationship that initiated at the combine in right. some way. And the best is when you can meet someone when you're with someone else, that's where you were and like your story there with, you know, the group. And I know you told a story. Well, who was it? It's been long enough now. It was John Fox and someone else arguing about the value of a quarterback, you told me once. And it was a philosophical discussion. But, yeah. uh, Billy, Billy Devaney told me this. He was a former GM of the Rams a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, I knew Billy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you remember who Fox, who was he going back at for? You were a bystander there just watching, and they were really going at it. I, value it, was of franchise quarterback. it I believe okay. it was Billy Devaney and Fox. So it was those two going back and yeah, forth. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was I was just standing there as a bystander. I knew both guys, but obviously I wasn't going to jump in. You know, at that point I was still young in my in my combine uh, excursions, and I certainly was not going to jump in. But yeah, no, you hear great conversations, and and um, you know, as as you said, you just get to talk to coaches. The great thing about it is 
coaches are relaxed. There's no game on Sunday. They're not game planning. They're, there's no secrets. I mean, you can just kind of talk ball. And, yeah. you know, as you've gone on in your career and as, and as I've gone on in mine, you know, those guys kind of accept that, you know, we're sort of part of the, the group now. And you can sit down and have really good conversations, whether it's a sit down for a half hour or a 10 minute, you know, in, in the hallways, like I said, of, of the convention center slash dome. Um, you know, you, you just you see people and, and all of a sudden you talk for a bit and uh, you learn uh, you know, you just hear a nugget here or there that you go, wow, that's, that's really good stuff. And then- it's, yep, it, it's wonderful. And it's, it, and I think, you know, you, you earn and build those relationships over yep. time. I know the Peter King, my boss at Sports Illustrated for a long time, who as a person is an A plus 10 out of 10. And everyone who worked for him would agree with that. Any, we would all do anything for him. The only time Peter and I ever really butted heads. I mean, it was a, f- a few times was at the combine because I would go and I'd have I'd have meetings with fifty or sixty coaches some years. I mean, it was just Walt. It was six or seven a day fitting them in. I loved organizing it, and you go in with a and I'm prepped for every one of them. And the volume of football information that I took away was extraordinary. And Peter said, "Well, you need to write an article what I learned at the combine." And I said to Peter, "Like these are meetings off the record. Like, all of these are off the record, you know, completely off the record." And I said, they will, "They'll make their way into the articles eventually. All the football that I do comes from learning this stuff, but I can't, you know, guys told me stuff they would never say publicly. I can't right. say have a headline, even if I don't mention the guy. You can't have that headline." And Peter and I, he said, "Well, it can't be continuing education for you. Just got to do more than that." And I, you know, I fought him. I said, it's exactly continuing education and it's vital. And P- Peter, we found a compromise. It was no big deal in the end. But that's the way I've always viewed it is, is what you're describing, learning from people as much as possible. And the honesty yeah. you get from coaches is great there. No, and I, the way I view it, well, not the only way, but one major way for me, I imagine it's similar for you as well. And obviously you work for a team, so you even did deeper dives and learn more. But for me, it, it helps tremendously then when I come back and watch tape, because now you just see it a little bit differently and you're able to to see things that you kind of saw, but you didn't have the same context yeah. as when you learned something from a coach. Um, and, you know, as you and I have discussed, it actually makes it take longer than to watch tape because you know more as opposed to less time to watch tape. Because now I feel like I have to look at everything because I know more, you know? Yeah. So whereas before maybe I knew a certain amount and, uh, and I'd watch and I'd be leaving out, you know, other things that, that just didn't resonate with me. And now as I've learned more and more and more, you watch plays over and over and you see te- tactics you see schemes whatever it is you see and you yeah. want to see it in more detail because you know more detail yeah no that's that's exactly right and it's one of those a lot of times when you see it you wonder like how you hadn't seen it before or like Correct. you can't unsee any of it once you know about it that's the way i felt greg when i first walked into your eyes telling the story to someone earlier today when i first walked into your office in 2008 i'd never really been exposed to coaches film i'd had someone that had sent me some back this was back when it was contraband you couldn't have coaches right film. right right but someone had sent me some so i had watched it but i had no clue no clue at all what i was looking it's just a different camera angle to me and i saw how you and jaws and is matt millen there that day charlie casserly how you guys went about it 
And I wish at the moment, I, I, I'm glad to be here, but I wish I hadn't seen this because I'm a fraud. Like this, like this is real football. Right. And once you know that, you got to. And so once you learn that there's more going on there and you always do at the combine, that's the beauty of it. You feel a responsibility to convey that. You can't just not, you can't pretend you don't know about it now. So it always takes more time. There's right. always more layers. That's, that's what's and, fun and, about and football. And it's funny you say that because even with, you know, and, and obviously I, I think I've learned a ton and I feel like I know a good amount, but there are certain things you can't know unless you're in, involved in the process. You're in the meeting rooms. You're, you're there when they teach it. You're there when they talk about checks or, or audibles or adjustments. You know, there's certain things you can't know. And whenever I'm watching tape, um, you know, which, of course, I pretty much do every single day. I always wish that I had, you know, the bat phone and a direct line to that coach where I could just pick up the phone and say, hey, what was the thought here? You know, because I just want to know all that. I want to know it all the time. And there's just some things you can't know. Yeah. So you'll spend the days kind of bumping into these guys, scheduling meetings, going to lunch. You see all these coaches yep. around. A lot of them still go to the workouts, not as many as you would guess. And some of these coaches who don't go at all now, my former boss, at, you know, Sean McVay with the Rams, you know, he used to go, but he wouldn't go to – you'd see him during the workouts at a hotel or something. He's doing other things. But a lot of the coaches still go to the workouts. And then I think where it gets really fun – and, Greg, you did this more in your earlier years and your later years. I'm still in my early years, although every year it takes a little more out of me. But after around – 10 o'clock when everyone gets back from the meet it's the in-person interviews are the other thing the coaches do Those right right and they all each team gets a hotel room they well now they do those more during the day because the workouts are, are later so you know now the workouts are from let's say three to nine or three to nine thirty they're they're not going to first start doing interviews at 11 o'clock at night good point so it flip-flop but it's right at 9 30 or 10 o'clock the day stops for those guys and then the, the night begins and you get coaches going out. And there are certain bars in Indianapolis are really like there's a it's called Prime 47. It's a steakhouse that turns into a bar after a certain hour. And you walk in there, you might see seven or eight head coaches all in one area. And any one old person can just go in there if you want. You can go right up to them if you want. And it's uh, it's a now the problem is everybody discovered that area too, so you don't. That's not a, an environment for great football conversation. I never brought the film out at Prime 47 after midnight. But the point is no, no. accessible around town. Yeah, no, the, my, my days, it's funny you mention that because my first, oh, I don't know, six or seven years as I would, you know, and of course I was a lot younger then. Um, my first six, seven years, I would go out and stay out late every night because that's where you had great football conversation. And obviously – the whole environment was different 20 years ago. So there were, number one, there weren't as many people. There weren't as many media. It was much more just a pure football event. So you, so it would be the coaches that were out. There wouldn't be all these other people. So you could go out to a, you know, a restaurant. I can't even remember which one. There were a bunch, but you know, at one in the morning and you would, you know, it would just be coaches. So you could, you could see a coach and actually have a great football conversation for a half hour, you know, the problem was, is then the next day in the dome, you're falling asleep, you know, because yes. <laughs> yeah. the workouts back then started at nine in the morning. So, uh, uh, but no, but that's the, you know, that's the way you develop relationships. And um, yeah, I really can't do that anymore, uh, Andy, in my advancing years. But, you know, um, and I'm sure that a lot of great conversations are still had late at night. 
but you know now there's a lot more people there so it's it's not just it's 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 beyond just the, the football coaches and and staffs and and uh scouts it's 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 a lot of other people yes yeah, agents and media and yeah. etc i know there was one year i uh and it actually wasn't super long ago i took tylenol pm which is a, that's the most sleeping pill i'll ever do is tylenol pm but i took it cuz I, I had to get up a certain time i didn't want to you know, I didn't want to lay awake and have the excitement of the evening right, right. Up all night. So I took it at 11 o'clock, 11.05, a coach texts me, hey, we're headed to wherever. You want to come join us? And it was a, it was a coordinator. I mean, so, of course, I'm doing that. So after I took the Tynal PM, I got dressed all over again, went back out for four more hours, and uh, I felt terrible the next day. No question about that. <laughs> you still have the meeting that you were trying to prepare for. You know, you still right, right, right. the morning meeting. So it's it's been good. So all right, the guys that aren't attending this year, you know, the the Rams as an example, who by the way just had a spectacular draft after not going to the combine the year before and the year before that. You know, what's the league going to do about this? Because I, I know I've, I've heard Seattle's not going to be there this year, perhaps with another young head coach, and that's a new staff. So that might that could very well be why. But these coaches under forty five years old, most of them don't send themselves or certainly send their entire staffs anymore. I think the league's got to, I don't know what they do about that. Cause I understand it on both sides, but the league wants this to be a big deal and it should be. And it is, you know, is there any way to get guys attending you think? And they mandate you know, I, I started to think about that last year because I have a good number of friends on teams that did not send their coaches last year because I spoke to the coaches before the combine and they said, Oh, I'm, we're not going. And I, you know, and I was like, Oh, I was kind of disappointed because these are guys I know guys that I talked to and guys I was hoping to spend some time with. And they all told me they're not going, you know? So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, if, if the league feels that they need to be there, you know, because obviously it's a TV event. Um, and, you know, with Rich Eisen and Daniel Jeremiah are the main two guys. They do an unbelievable job and they want to interview coaches and they want, you know, and and when the, some of the main coaches are not there, um, like I think the 49ers were not there last year. So I don't I, I don't know if they're going to show up this year. I mean, obviously, Kyle Shanahan, they were just in the Super Bowl, very well-known coach. And I'm sure they'd like to interview him. You know, I'm sure they'd like to sit down and, and interview him and talk to him and whatever it may be. And, you know, I, I have no idea whether they're going or not. My guess, my sense is they won't be going, but I don't know that. Yeah, no, they're, they, I'd be shocked because based on my friends on the Niners I've talked to, most of them aren't going from what, I, what I've heard. But I know my first year, there was one time a coach flew in as a head. So these head coaches have media obligations once in a while. And one year... Well, I'll just say it because we can all tell you it was, it was McVeigh four years ago, maybe three, four years ago, and he had to do the press conference. So he flew in for one day just to do the press conference. Can you yeah. imagine that? Because, you know, I told him my first year at the Combine, this was true, it was um, Rex Ryan was, was doing his media interview, and he guaranteed a Super Bowl win at the Combine. I thought I was pretty early to be guaranteeing anything. And you don't ever hear that word from a coach. I guarantee no. a Super Bowl. And I told Sean, you ought to do, you ought to make this whole thing work. Like, at least do that or something. Because to fly from one side of the country to the other for a press conference, you know, you're playing nice for that. You're just appeasing people at that point. Yeah, I'm. I'm. You know, again, I, I don't know. I don't work for a team. You did, so I don't know. 
you know, the value that they believe they get or don't get. Look, if they're not going to send coaches, um, I know some teams don't even send staff with the exception of very few people. So they obviously feel that they're not missing out on anything important as far as building a team. Um, so I don't know what can be done about that. I, you know, I haven't given that a ton of thought. Um, we were talking more, I think, about just – it, it being a TV event that you'd like to have all those coaches there because it just makes it better to be able to say, hey, now we're going to interview Kyle Shanahan. Now we're going to interview Sean McVay. I mean, these are young coaches in the league who are considered kind of the future of the league in coaching, you know, yeah. um, and have had a lot of success and are really well regarded. Um, yeah, they're, so, they're, they're, they're the present of the league, too. Those are the guys that have been to the Super Bowl the last No, you're right. Great point. Great point. Yeah. But they're both still young coaches. Um, yeah. So, and, you know. I don't think, to be fair, I don't think we're criticizing these guys. I mean, no. they feel because they want to be more efficient and stay at the office, and it's that's their job to coach a team. They feel that that's what's best. No problem with that at all. Just brainstorming if there's ways the league can try to make it you know, more, a more of a win-win for everybody. If that's how these coaches are seeing some of this stuff. I know. Some right. Right. I mean, yeah. Brought, some guys will bring their staff there and then just hold their staff meetings up in hotel suites too. No, no question. I mean, it, it leads you to believe that, uh, is it possible at some point that the combine does not exist because teams are still going, there's going to be pro days. They're going, there's going to be individual workouts. Does the combine as a, um, as a workout I'm talking about as guys on the field, you know, are they going to start to think, well, Hey, if teams are not really showing up for that, which is essentially, you know, what we're talking about, because number one, they can watch that on TV. And number two, as I said, they can have their own individual workouts. There are pro days. Um, they can bring guys into their building. I think is the number 30, you can bring 30 players into your building to, for interviews. I think, I think, so. yeah. I think that's the number, um, you know, with all those other things, you know, to to watch, you know, guys work out in shorts and a T-shirt. I'm not making a value judgment, by the way. I'm not saying they should yeah. or shouldn't do this. You know, you just start to think it through. Although I did read that the Combine will be back in Indy in 2025, so there is going to be a Combine in 2025 for sure. Well, and, and if they want to kill the Combine, they'll move it out of Indy because that is the one thing that gets everybody going there. These guys all want to go to see their buddies and the head coaches, they don't, it's not the same for them because they can't really get promoted, but you know, other coaches that are building their careers, that's how they build their relationships. That's where your future jobs come from. A lot of the time, I wonder, Greg, do you think they'd ever, one way they could maybe kind of jolt it again, although I don't think it solved the problem because a lot of the teams that skip the combine, they skip the pro days as well. But if they, if they prohibited NFL personnel from attending pro days or at least coaches and executives and only allowed scouts at pro days, I wonder if that would jolt guys back to the combine a little bit. It might, but I, I, I would doubt that they could really do that. I mean, how could you, yeah. you know, the, tell colleges, a the colleges would not like it. And then you want to maintain yeah. those positive relationships. I mean, you know, let's say the Rams need a quarterback. Are you going to tell Sean McVay he can't go to a workout for a quarterback? I mean, that's I don't I don't know how that would pr practically work out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. brainstorming ideas. Well, um, but the, yeah, but I mean, I, I I know you feel the same way. To me, the combine is my favorite event of the year because of the opportunity not only to to see friends again that you see maybe once or twice a year because we're all working you know ridiculous hours, but but just the, the nature of the conversations. I mean, it's just this is where the NFL world is for a week. 
And, you know, if you're in the NFL world, you know, the, and, and the NFL world can signify different things to different people. For me, it signifies learning more and more about the, the X's and O's of the game of football, in addition to seeing, you know, friends. Um, you know, that, that is invaluable for, for someone like myself and the work that I do. Yeah. Um, we talked quarterbacks at the end of the podcast last week. I want to touch on a couple more if, you, if you're okay with that. Guys, you mentioned you're going to be watching these guys throw when you're when you're down there. Um, Penix from Washington, you talked about him. Have you gotten a chance? Are you comfortable with what you've seen? Have you seen enough of him? to? Yeah. Yeah. Give me the Michael Penix rundown top to bottom. Michael Penix is a really good thrower of the football, particularly at the intermediate and vertical levels. He was probably the most accurate uh, thrower at those two levels. He could throw the ball down the field exceptionally well. Now, Penix is predominantly a pocket quarterback. Now, what's interesting about Penix, and and he's not immobile, so the question, one question with him is, when he gets to the league, can you see somewhat of a C.J. Stroud transition where, you know, a lot of people felt that Stroud, I did not fall into this category because I had seen a ton of Stroud's tape and I knew that he had better mobility than he was given credit for. But, you know, does he fall into that kind of category where once he gets to the league, you'll be able to see some more movement? Um, but for the most part, you're dealing with a quarterback that's extremely accountable to the system. He's very rhythmic based. He's very timing based. Um, the ball comes out. Um, Brian Grubb was their OC for his two years at Washington. He is now the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. And you saw a lot of what you'd call NFL vertical type route concepts, intermediate and vertical. So Michael Penix is very familiar with those. He understands the reading progression involved in those. And he can drive the football at those levels. Um, but, you know, he's a quarterback that I – you know, one thing you have to feel good about and, you know, you talk to him, you do whatever the due diligence you do is if there's bodies around him and he can't play within that that pure timing, because, you know, it doesn't happen like that all the time in the NFL, will he's not quite as comfortable and he, he can rush himself quite a bit. And then his ball placement wanes a little bit. Um, you know, so these are things you've got to try to figure out. My sense is because the league puts more and more emphasis now, Andy, on, on you know, playing above the X's and O's, the off script yeah. movement, that he won't be seen as a first round pick, even though he throws the ball extremely well, because, you know, I think the feeling is among many coaches and, and many executives that, you know, that that dimension is now sort of part and parcel of playing quarterback in the league. Interesting. OK. How about Bo Nix from Oregon? Yeah, Bo Nix is a really interesting guy because when you watched him play at Auburn for three years, it looked like he shouldn't even have been a starting quarterback in college football. And then he gets to Oregon, and he had a really strong 2022 and an even better 2023. Um, he's mobile, but he's another guy that I think is ultimately highly system-based. You know, I think you have to define it really cleanly for him. And by saying that, I don't mean that he can't see things. Um, I don't think that's his best trait. I, I think that, you know, if you can really define the pass game for him, you know, watching Bo Nix, a coach I thought of, and I have no idea if this coach likes him or not. It's just knowing how, you know, how he's been in the league and the quarterback that he had for years and years and how he likes to run his offense. 
I, I thought of Sean Payton. I thought that, you know, Bo Nix is a Sean Payton kind of quarterback because he's very rhythmic. His arm is live, but not strong. And that's a difference. I mean, the ball comes out easily, but it's, it's not strong. But we know that Sean Payton's offense does not need a, a quarterback with a gun. We know that because um, Drew Brees, you know, did not have a gun. Um, and yeah. I'm not suggesting Bo Nix is Drew Brees, by the way. Um, of course, Drew Brees wasn't Drew B- Brees when he first got drafted either. Um, so, you know, Nix is a really intriguing guy to me because he was incredibly efficient within the context of his offense. Um, and you'll hear a lot of people say, well, that's a college offense. But you and I both know that there's, um, you know, a, a a, a lot that works together now between the college offenses and the NFL offenses. So it's not the way it was, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago when there was a clear delineation between here's a college offense and here's an NFL offense. That delineation is nowhere near what it once was. Yeah, that's that's, that's a, a great point. So the other guy, two two other guys to touch on there would be, unless there's someone else you think I'm forgetting, I know we, we did – Caleb Williams the other day, it'd obviously be Drake May and Jaden Daniels. Give me, give me Drake May from North Carolina. Yeah, Drake May is a fascinating guy because he is a big, big athlete who throws the ball really well. I mean, he's going to come in probably close to 6'4", probably 220, 225. He's an athletic mover, big arm, throws the ball extremely easily. Like, for instance, he throws it like Joe Burrow with the ease of motion, but he's got a, a much stronger arm. He's got a couple of issues that, you know, I think need to be cleaned up. Number one, he has a tendency to drift when he drops back, you know, drift off the midline. If you're dropping back, you want your quarterback to be where he's supposed to be because otherwise the offensive line, is, is, you know, gets caught. An offensive lineman can't stand when a quarterback kind of drifts and moves because yeah. they're not blocking that way. They're blocking for him to be where he's supposed to be. Um, the other thing, that the more I watched him, and I watched a lot of him, um, is I thought that his ball location was at times erratic. I wouldn't call him scattershot where you went, ooh, but, you know, I, I think he missed too many routine throws, and you know how that is in the NFL. You can't miss layups. You don't get many of yeah. them, and you can't miss them. So those are just two things that stood out to me, but, but he also made big-time throws, and he is a big athlete, and you know, that kind of size, I'm not going to sit here and say he's Justin Herbert or Josh Allen, um, but, you know, I think some might see him, you know, stylistically like that in that, you know, sort of category of quarterback. Yeah. Um, the he, other guy you mentioned was um, – Yeah, was, LSU, yeah, Daniels. Oh, Daniels is fascinating because th- there's been improvement in his game each and every year. He was a big, big-time recruit initially going to Arizona State. Um, had a really good freshman season. Then they had all kinds of issues, as you probably know, within the entire organization um, and program. And he ended up spending his last two years at LSU. Um, he's a Southern California kid who's good friends with CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. He's just sort of in that group. Um, and he's improved, you know, both incrementally and dramatically over the last two years. He is a dynamic, dynamic athlete, but he does not look to flee the pocket. His mechanics are pretty solid in the pocket. Um, I like the way he throws. He's not a big arm kid. He's not a gun guy, um, but he throws a very, very good deep ball. You know, people say, well, he had great receivers. When I watch quarterbacks, you're probably the same way, you know, when you're watching the NFL. I know you don't watch a ton of the college guys on tape. 
you're looking at the quarterback and how he performs. You know, he could be throwing to me or he could be throwing to a great receiver. It doesn't matter. You're watching how the quarterback performs. And and I think, you know, Jaden Daniels has really improved. And, and I, I like him. I'm, I'm very curious to see where he goes because uh, I think that he could really be a, a, a higher level NFL quarterback. That I mean, movement ability of his, the running ability, I mean, that is really dynamic and explosive. Interesting. You're saying he doesn't use it as a crutch, it sounds like. No, he does not. Yeah. Um, huge. One guy I'm very curious to see throw in person is J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. Because on tape, I didn't think he threw the ball very well. And when I say very well, I don't mean he can't throw it and he's a dog and he can't play. I mean, I just didn't think it came out real well. I wouldn't have viewed him as a guy based on pure tape study as having the kind of arm I would have expected. So he's a guy I'm very anxious to watch throw in person. Excellent. Any other guys? Um, there's a couple other guys. There's Joe Milton from Tennessee who has a ridiculous arm, but you know doesn't know where it's going a good part of the time and doesn't control the football very well. And then if you can't control the football very well, no matter how big your arm is or how far you can throw it, it's it's very hard to be a consistent quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Troy Aikman said that best. Your reads don't matter. You know, if you make the right read or wrong not, read, the execution of the guys around you, none of it, ma nothing matters if you can't put the ball where you're trying to put the ball. No, and I, I remember having that conversation with him years ago, and it, and I've never forgotten that either. Just another one of those conversations, Andy, you never forget. And, and you know, I, I've taken that with me to this day. You can be great at everything, but if you can't throw it where you want to, you basically have nothing. Yeah, and it's you know and that's that's a perfect bow to put on this conversation because that's a simple, obvious point that you don't hear from people outside the game, at least not through that lens and through that perspective. No. When Troy Aikman says it, it clicks so many other things into place, and and when Greg Cosell says it to me, it clicks so many other things well, into place. One other point, and Phil Sims, who who I know well, and we and we talk you know here and there is. Um, uh, he said it a different way, and I just used that term. But when he said it this way, it resonated with me. He said he used the term control the football, and I immediately knew what he meant. And, and that's the same concept. You know, you've got to be able to control the football when you throw it. If you can't control the football and you don't know exactly where it's going to go, the rest of the stuff, you know, it's, it becomes you become just a sort of play-to-play -play guy. Hey, maybe this play will be great. Maybe this play won't be because you can't control where you're throwing it. Yeah. Yeah, Greg, I appreciate you. Always enjoy these conversations. We'll keep these up. Uh, love that it's, it's combine time. It's a great time of year. It's the end of the previous season, beginning of the next season. We're right there in that sweet spot. My friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. I'm Andy Benoit, 33rd team. This is Behind the Screen Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hit subscribe, and we'll see you next week.